Okay, listeners, welcome back to the Hitting Rock Metal podcast. I'm your host, Sally Holder, and today we have an incredible human being who has made amazing strides in her life, and she is making an impact in the world, and I have personally seen that impact in those around me, so I cannot wait for you guys to hear more from Kate Madry. She is a queer actress and comedian whose life changed in 2020 when she decided to get sober, just like myself. Her moment of clarity helped change her perspective about how big shifts happen and how people change their day-to-day and ultimately pursue growth. She's been a co-host and guest interviewer on Dear Media's It Sure Is a Beautiful Day with Kat Sadler, and during her time there hosted some of the show's highest-ranking episodes. It is fantastic to have her here on the Hitting Rock Metal podcast today. She was gracious enough to interview me on her podcast, Clear Headed, which you have got to check out um, to hear more about her transformation and the mindset shifts that she can help you conquer any along your individual journey. So Kate, thank you for being here. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. I am on day six of COVID. So everybody bear with me if I brain fog it up. Um, kind of ironic because yes, my brand and podcast is called Clear Headed and I'm feeling a bit foggy, but it is not because I'm hungover or I've been drinking. It is just because of COVID. Um, Damn and, straight woman. Right? And, I, and yes. I'll take that brain fog over anxiety any day, honestly. Anxiety. Oh <laughs> anxiety. You've never heard of that? It's so real though, right? It's so real. You know, I was just talking with Sarah, my girlfriend, who is also sober, um, about we're sitting on the patio and I was like, do you ever get the same kind of anxiety that you used to when you were hungover? And she was like, "Mm, I don't think so. But if I do, I know what to do with it now. And it feels more manageable. And that's the difference. And I think that 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 has been like the biggest, you know, we've been quarantining and having a lot of talks. And that's been the biggest like moment of clarity I've had is that not to just go and ramble from the from the tip top of this, but let's do it. I like it. You know, like I think we want a solution so often when we're going to quit something. Maybe that's a diet. Maybe that's a new workout routine, a skincare routine, whatever. But with sobriety, your solution is that you have power and you have control over whatever it is that you're feeling and you have the ability to feel your way through it. And I think like just having that deeper understanding now over two years sober and understanding it a little bit deeper. I don't know. It just makes it all that more achievable, attainable, and like, I don't know, desirable for anybody out there, even if you want to do it for a month, you know? Uh, Yeah, I could not agree agree more. I mean, there's so much I want to say about that, but yeah, the anxiety was real. Gosh, Mm -hmm. Um, it, it just came about because of the significant shame I would feel from the night before and my usual commitment to attempt to stay right within the fine line of slightly buzzed and not just absolutely shit-faced. And I couldn't ever find how many drinks that was because it was always varying. And somehow I completely missed the mark of like, super happy, fun, buzzed, and would always wake up the next morning like, oh my God, what did I do? Um, And yeah, so that anxiety was 
gives me chills right now. I know. And then the shame that you have then fuels your reasoning for going out the next night or starting a little earlier the next day. And, and and it is like this awful, awful hamster wheel that uh, I was on, you were on. And I think so many people get on, even if it, maybe it's not a lifelong hamster wheel run, but like you go out to a weekend in Vegas, you know what it's like to go on a bachelorette party and feel like obligated to keep the itinerary and have the mimosas and then go to the pool party and then go to the dinner and then take a nap and wake up and you go to the club and like that is a hamster wheel. So we've all run it. Um, I think we can all pull from that. It's, yeah, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. Well, I want to point out one thing, though, because I think with sobriety, one of the things that frustrates me the most is, and even my kids have said this before, is you don't look like someone who needs to get sober or needed to get sober. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know about you, but I'm sure you've heard the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I first got sober, many of the people actually around me were quite surprised Um, so I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about kind of what it's been like for you, because people are constantly shocked that you can be a well-functioning human being, you know, flying to Vegas, going to do the things, then going Uh back, doing your job, you know, running a thousand miles an hour and not living under a bridge, right? Somewhere, right. And that they always imagine that, you know, that is the case. Those are the only people that end up suffering with some kind of, right problem with alcohol. And I mm-hmm. try to be a voice to say that is not the case. I was practicing law, wildly successful. And then this was just my shameful secret. Yeah, totally. I think for me, I mean, I got sober in 2020. It's almost 2023. I don't, I I just turned 20. I don't know. I was like mid twenties when I, when I got sober, which is like typically the time where, yeah, I mean, you get it together, right? You like, you, you start getting your life together um, more so, but cutting out a huge social anchor in society, specifically for 20-somethings, um, I mean, I think it shocked a lot of people. I think the people who were, I don't know if the people who were closest to me could see it coming. I mean, I think alcoholism, addictive tendencies, dependencies, alcohol misuse disorder runs in uh, both sides of my family. I There's a history there. There's a lineage there of... Um, it's it's kind of weird to even say like alcohol being misused because like it's kind of made to be misused. That's the whole point of it is you're poisoning your body. There's not really a healthy way to use it. Um, but I mean, and for the sake of this point, like uh, abuse and misuse and really having alcohol have its hands on your day to day was something that a lot of people in my family, I think, dealt with. Um, I grew up seeing it. Then you have the fact that I'm in LA and in the comedy scene and, um, you know, in the improv world and the whole idea of come to my free show, there's a bucket of beer and somebody's bringing tequila, take a shot when you laugh. And, you know, like humor and comedy and alcohol are so tethered together for me, at least I know that they can be untethered sitting here now, but like that world, my family world, just everything, I, I guess the point of all of that is to say that it was so 
accepted and expected to always have a drink in hand, whether it was at a family event, whether it was at a comedy show, or whether it was like literally even after work when I worked in a restaurant. But hello, I mean, the restaurant industry is booze-soaked, front and back of house, you know? And nothing ever, I think, registered as like being troubling I didn't hit um, a rock bottom that everybody typically describes, uh, you know, when your parents sit you down and they say, don't do drugs because you will crash a car, you'll ruin a family, kill somebody, you'll kill yourself, you'll hurt somebody. I didn't do any of that. And I didn't have to in order to like hit my internal rock bottom, which was no confidence, uh, not self-assured. I felt so lost every day. And I chose to have alcohol be my compass. And it was such an unreliable compass. But when you're in your 20s, you don't really think you should have a solid direction. So it it took me a while to be like, oh, okay, yeah. Like if you're constantly like, what am I doing again? Why did I do that? Who am I with again? Who am I dating? What friends do I have? I mean, it's a big part of it now I look back was the the booze compass like directing me in some weird weird ways I but i just booze compass, <laughs> booze compass. oh, but, oh mine, um, mine took me in crazy directions as well and i think it refused to enter places that didn't serve alcohol i was like well yeah obviously i'm not gonna do that <laughs> right i had a full-on stop sign mm-hmm. oh my gosh yeah so i remember going to parties and and somebody being like oh yeah i'm not drinking tonight and i'd be like Boo. I mean, I was that person who was like, oh, I mean, awful. Granted, yeah. if somebody ever said like, I'm sober, the infatuation would start. And I'd be like, what do you mean? How are you doing? Because I think there was a, there was a root part of me that really knew that was going to be my, my future me was so aligned with that sobriety portion of that person. But <clears throat> I didn't understand how people just chose to not do it one night it's a party. It's taco Tuesday. I mean, there is always a reason, but I mean more to get a little bit more back on track with like your question of like, do people, did people, did it catch them by surprise? I think, I think what caught people more by surprise wasn't my stopping drinking. It was how much it was hurting me when I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm, I've, you know, I have my podcast, I have talked to friends, I have explained it to my family. And I think that's really like the shocker is not understanding how toxic of a hold it had on me that you couldn't see, you know, how and and even I couldn't see back to anxiety, like how much my day, my life, my schedule, my thoughts, my body, my health, my house was dictated by alcohol. And I think that was the biggest shock. Wow. What what a profound statement. I mean, I think I've never really heard anybody put it that way. But yeah, I mean, it, it is expected and integrated into a, a lot of our lives in the ways that you just said, work, family life, um, social life, all of the above. And so 
but rarely do we actually right pull the vulnerable curtain back to be honest about how we feel. And I don't know about you, but I wasn't at all making the connection between the two. I was like, this is just me. Mm. I am the problem, right? Yeah. There, there are horrible things about me and thus I have to drink. Yeah. If you had my life, you would drink too, because you would know all of these terrible things about me that I don't show anybody else. Hey listeners, we are so excited to share that the fourth annual Brim Retreat will be taking place in Austin, Texas. This is the premier event for female entrepreneurs that are ready to take their business to the next level. Taking place from April 30th through May 3rd, this three-day event is led by expert business coach Sally Holder and perfectly combines opportunities to connect, learn from the best across industries, and fill your cup with exclusive experiences and group activities. This is your chance to join 150 other phenomenal entrepreneurs and get away from the distractions of everyday life. Give yourself the dedicated time, space, and experiences that will enable you to come back and create massive leaps in your business. So are you ready to have your aha moment in Austin with the brim? To grab your ticket or learn more, visit us at growwiththebrim.com. But hurry, because this event will sell out. I think the enmeshment of like alcohol and having a relationship with it is honestly, this is, I guess, kind of a big statement, but I feel like it's really one of the first relationships that we are shown growing up is how to have a relationship with alcohol. We either see it on TV or we watch our parents have that relationship. I mean, I know when my parents, I I would go over to my grandparents' house and when I was a kid and their babysitting, love them so much, was sitting in their chairs, putting on a baseball game and opening a beer and having cheese and triscuits and and peanuts. And that (laughs) Corona goes so, I mean, it is in my brain, the same tethering to that as it is to like the comfortable feeling that I felt going over to my grandparents' house. I mean, like having, seeing this substance, this drink integrated in our life throughout it, eggnog, wine at weddings, champagne toast. I I mean, it's, it's so, I feel like it's the first relationship we're really taught is the relationship that you have with alcohol. And then as you get older and you kind of start to see maybe you're in high school or middle school, you know, whenever it is that you start experimenting or you grab the bottle or you take a sip of your mom's wine, like whatever it is, then the shame and how to balance that relationship starts. And I think the lessons for that are so much, I think that's what we as a society are trying to get away from is the shame and how to balance this. There shouldn't even be balance. I mean, the scale is so rigged in the in favor of booze. It's going to weigh you down every single time. But to try to like make yourself lighter, to reason it away, to only do it like the management that it takes for a lot of people, yeah. the energy is so uneven on the scale of good that it it is it, it's like an abusive relationship and we all want to be dating and fun and carefree with alcohol and that is just not the way it is alcohol is a controlling awful nasty partner who says really mean things to you who makes you feel awful about yourself 
and who steals all of your money and like takes your friends. It's an awful partner. So (laughs) makes you say and do things you would never do normally. Never become a, a oftentimes different version of yourself and one you're not proud of becoming. Yeah. Like I was constantly asking the question of myself as I was trying to get sober, what does it add to my life? And I couldn't answer that question really honestly of what it actually added. Yeah. Um, I couldn't think of anything. It's a, it's a, such a complex question to ask because yeah. it really is so dependent on where you are with your truth and honesty. I mean, mm, you, I, I would ask my question, if I asked myself that three years ago, a year before I got sober, mm-hmm. which I knew then I had like, I wasn't really managing it and it was causing me some serious chaos but my reasoning and my truth and my honesty and that answer to that question at that time would have been, well, it gives me fun and it gives me a thing to do. And I have all of these friends. And what am I going to do when I don't have a margarita to order? Like, what am I going to order? Water? Why would I even go out? Then my whole social life's gone. <laughs> I know. You know? And now, yeah. so it's, I think it's like for anybody who's like listening or thinking or asking those tough questions, like it's. It's less about the question and it's more about like how honest are you willing to get because it does take a lot of digging. Like I had to read, I read Alan Carr's The Easy Way to Quit Drinking Without Willpower and basically all of these tough questions are asked in the book and he lays out these answers very logically. Um, I mean, and the perspective shifts that I had were you can't unknow it. Like you cannot come back from it. It is like uh, in the best way, in the best way possible. It's so freeing. Even this, I, I remember like one of my biggest ones, my biggest perspective shift from from reading that book, which he says, by the way, don't be drinking literally while you're reading this book, but you don't have to stop drinking and then start reading this book. You can still be sober curious. You can be change nothing in your routine, but just read this book by the end. I guarantee your perspective will change. And I guarantee if you read this book, your perspective will change because the biggest thing that I took away at the almost top of the book is when you look at how you describe yourself, when you say that you want to go drink, like let's lay out the words. And one of them was wasted. Like I want to go get wasted. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah you're wasting. You're wasting an entire night. If you're wasted, like what does that word really mean? And why would you as a person want to be wasted? Yeah. You know, and just that kind of stuff or having those honest answers, um, I think just make the biggest changes. Yeah. Biggest changes. And why would you, I think, you know, I could only speak to my experience. I would say why I wanted to at that time was to forget, right? And I think that was probably my, as honest as I could be with myself is, yeah, I just want to forget the day, the troubles yeah. and all of those things um, for a moment. Um, but 
as you pointed out earlier, um, not only does it make you forget the bad, it actually makes you forget the good too, Mm -hmm. right? The good time you were supposed to remember that night with your friends, the good time you were supposed to remember, right, with them at dinner and all of those things, all of that gets washed away as well. And so what I would find is the next day, I wouldn't have that feeling of release and, ah, I did something great. And, you know, I actually let off steam and, you know, I got out of it what I actually needed. I was feeding this bottomless pit. Yeah. Um, So I never got what I really wanted, which was really to feel better. And that was way underneath my original statement of, I want to be wasted because I want to forget. Why do I want to forget? Well, really, it's because, you know, at the end of the day, I I don't want to feel what I'm feeling right now. And I'm trying to avoid it because ultimately I want to feel better. And what we're not often willing to do is, is take it that layer deeper. Yeah. Um, And, and like you said, yeah, get really honest um, with ourselves because society rewards you when you're not honest. It's like, tell everybody you're great. Just Mm -hmm. keep going, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I think there's also like a flip side to that too, which is so in line with hitting rock metal, but I think also there's this pressure of if you haven't, if, if your truth isn't so bad that it would make, move someone to tears, or if it isn't a rock bottom, or if you, then you should just be quiet because it hasn't gotten there yet. So you don't need to talk about it. And that is so toxic <laughs> it's so exactly. unsafe um it's yeah, my, my this- first sponsor would always say absolutely you can go and do some what she say try some controlled drinking and ride the elevator all the way down mm-hmm. or you can get off where you are right now and that's what I try to tell people who come to me and say hey I'm really concerned and they're like but you know it's not that bad It's not that bad for me yet. And I'm like, great. There is no requirement that you have to hit rock bottom. You can just be exactly where you are and still raise your hand and say, I've had enough. Yeah. Anyway. And that could be like for big and little, like as big as like a major health reason and as little as, ooh, I don't like the way that it makes me feel. I mean, like, yes. That that's that's like the biggest goal in my life is to to help people understand that they can just step away and they're they don't need to date booze, they don't need to keep stay friends with it. They like literally block the number, never call them back. It's totally cool. And that also doesn't mean that you have to hate them and trash talk or whatever. There's no judgment that has to come. I mean, you and I sitting here, I think we both can say very much that there's no, I think when you make choices for yourself, like we both made the choice to stop drinking specifically for ourselves. It was self-willed. It was self-motivated. There is no judgment of somebody else doing something different because I like, I just want you to find what works for you. You know, like you don't have to go through life hating you don't have to go through your life in turmoil with it either. Like, it's just, you can block it and never, never call it again. Like, 
It doesn't have to be a a, a smear campaign either. You know, like yes. you don't need that on your weight, that weight either. So. I think what's so profound is the way you're putting it is just, it, it is such a light bulb moment for me. And it's a great way for me to put it in context for other people oh, I as love well. That. Uh, it really is of like, it, you would never let a bad friend who is giving you all of these negative repercussions hang out with you anymore. You yeah. would say, ooh, go away. Bad things happen when I hang out with you. I'm just not going to hang out with you anymore. I would yeah. prefer to spend my time with people that give me good things. And yeah, it can, this, the choice can be that simple is just, and I, I love that block that number, that, that bad friend or, you know, X can just hang out with someone else other than yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, totally. And if they get along with them and they're not having problems and they don't have this toxic thing, okay, cool. And when that other friend does find that they that that toxic relationship is creeping into their friendship with that person, like I'm here to listen and I love you. But the thing too, and I think the like power behind sobriety is that it is so freaking different for everyone. I do. I say it's like a fingerprint. It's like a thumbprint. It is so unique and true and honest to you and you only. And what worked for me or what worked for you and worked for them and them and them is not going to be the same. It's, it's just not. There are certain things that do. I mean, like you can't bake a cake without flour. Well, actually, I think you can do a flourless cake, but you get what I'm saying. There are certain things like you need for sure that are foundational, but look at the end of the day, like it also evolves and changes. And, and I think that that's also such like my biggest message too, is like your sober care routine is going to evolve and change just like you are. And what feels so heavy or burdensome or like a 10 step routine. I mean, just Mm -hmm. like when you have a really bad breakout on your face, it's maybe more intense until you get it managed. And then it's just some upkeep. And that's like really how it can get, um, it can get for you. So it's not always so like overwhelming. Oh gosh. So true. I mean, my first year, it was intense work for me Mm -hmm. because there was so much of my life I was attempting to change just because exactly what you said, every bit of my social life, all of the lives, business life, all the things revolved around alcohol, the structure of my house, all of the things did. Yeah. And I wanted to make the change that those were not the priorities. And so, yes, that, that took me time. And I experienced a lot of, um, it, it took energy the first year, but now six and a half years in, um, I, I don't have to think about it. It is commonplace. I am very used to it not being around me. I have no problem with other people drinking who don't have an issue and, you know, have zero judgment for them. What is right for me isn't going to be right for you. And I, I want you to live your life and ask that you respect how I live mine. That's, that's it. And, um, it is completely manageable now and it is second nature, um, and the longer I am in this, the, the even easier it becomes um, because it is my lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So true. So true. So what though, because I kind of just touched on this, what um, sort of community did you have or do you think that others need to have as they sort of embark on this journey? 
Well, my um my sober curiosity started and and it was like a long unfolding. I I tried and um I did a salsa with sobriety, I guess. Like a cha-cha-cha. Like there was a couple of fronts and the backs and a 30 days and I make it to three days and I'm never drinking again and be drinking later that night. And I, that was all so necessary. There is such a phase of discovery that comes before recovery. And I really think that like if you are if you are toying with the idea and if you are finding that you you're not staying linear, then that is you are right where you need to be. You are right where you need to be because you really do have to work out those muscles. But while I was working out those muscles, I I fluctuated between like saying it to people to try to hold myself accountable in some way. Like I wanted to try 30 days and I would, I told my cousin, I'm not drinking for 30 days. And, you know, day three came around and I was drinking and then I felt shame and that, that I'd need to tell my cousin. So it, it's so different for everyone. It has been linear so far since I did make the choice in 2020. And really the community that I, really the community, I I don't know if this is like going to make sense. Hello, brain fog. But (laughs) I really had to get right with myself first. My community was myself and all the versions of myself that were sitting around being mean to me that I didn't understand, that I hadn't healed from, the young Kate, the old Kate, the who I want to be, the who I just was, the who I am currently. Like that was my community. It was like sitting and listening and honoring their like feelings. And that was like, that was like a a stadium full of people because I had been ignoring it for so long, my feelings. Um, Mm -hmm. And I also was so lucky because I had, I was just, you know, starting to date who was my best friend, Sarah, and we had just started a romantic relationship. And I had been sober for, you know, 10 days and really felt like it was something I needed to fundamentally change. I st- I said, okay, I can't, I, this is the longest I've gone in years of my life. I mean, that was like 16, 10 days, it was no alcohol. That's pretty major. I don't want to break on 11 and I have some social changes that I need to make and I don't want alcohol in my house and I don't want uh, you know, like I knew I had to communicate it in order to nourish myself. And Sarah happened to be on the exact same page and she got sober right then too. And so we're 10 days apart on our sobriety date, birthday. Um, I love it. And really having a partner through that, I think was also my community, not in an unhealthy way <laughs> because you don't want your partner to be the only reason. But I guess that's why I say my community first was with myself. I knew if that relationship didn't work out or Sarah decided she wanted to try mindful drinking, I I knew that it wasn't going to change my outcome, my trajectory. Mm -hmm. And, um, And I think that would be like my suggestion for anyone because it can be intimidating to, to hear people say like the first bit of advice is like go to a group. Although I do think that's a great thing. It's intimidating to walk into a room full of people when you're not even certain where you stand, what you think, how you feel, how you identify. Um, and getting friendly and cozy with all those versions of yourself can be done at any phase of your sober curiosity. 
and it can start super small, you know, just identifying like, okay, I'm going to, I see that thought. I see that feeling. Maybe I need to like name this version of myself so I can place, you know, Katrina or whatever you want to call <laughs> that bitch who just tells you you're going to fail. Um, no shade to Katrina's out there. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that oh, yeah. can mine's, start mine's at any... I got I got her in my head. Uh, yeah. Fully too. Again, no shade, but yeah, she's super mean to me. <laughs> yes. And she and lives inside by birth. So much yeah. better when you like label and you and you like see that as, yes, I guess it's in you, part of you. But it's not your essence. It's not like your end goal. I think what is so hard and what I was avoiding for so long, though, was getting really intimate with her. Oh, I know. I was terrified to get to know myself. And it's interesting that you're saying this and what a beautiful bit of advice um, to do that first and to sit with yourself and allow yourself to get to know the various parts of you because we all have many different parts of ourselves. Um, And we rarely listen to the most valuable part of ourselves, the one that is the real authentic version. I don't know about you, but because I was so busy attempting to avoid all of the negative other parts of myself and those voices and all the shame, I never took enough time to let them talk and say all their piece. And they were so loud that, and, and talked first, right. And loudest because yeah. they're your ego yeah. and that I could get to the real part of myself and hear what she had to say. And I never took the time to do that. And, and I always say it showed up in crazy ways. Like people would say, what's your favorite song or what's your favorite color? And even before I got sober, I couldn't tell you. I literally would look around the room and be like, well, I don't know. I mean, what's yours? Like, I don't know. I don't think about those things. And it was merely because I had never taken the time to turn inward. I didn't want to. Uh, I think that's so relatable. Yeah. Like even going back to, to kind of the top of this conversation, it's like, what is the solution that you're trying to get when you stop drinking? What is the pressure that you're going to put on it? There will always be noise in your head. There will mm-hmm. always be that pot, that tea kettle that it gets too hot because we're human and there's no way that we could sit and pay attention to all the tea kettles going and boiling and people come along and they turn the heat up without us knowing and things bother us. And it's gonna, it's gonna like squeak. It's gonna squeak. It's, it's the power that you have when you're clear headed, haha plug. And you are present to say, not only do I hear the tea kettle when it's just starting, but out of the hundreds of tea kettles, I know which one to go to and I know what to turn down instead of going, maybe it's this one, maybe it's that one, maybe it's this one, maybe it's that one, and maybe it's this one, and maybe it's that one. And oh my gosh, ah! and then you just match the scream because you're so frustrated. It's like the the power of 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 persistence and of just knowing yourself comes and that, and that like, that's the power. Mic drop. 
<laughs> I mean, literally, like, I think that this is why when people say to me, like, my gosh, I'm so sorry that you can't drink or that you had to get sober. And I'm like, God, I am not. It is the best thing that ever happened in my life. And then they think I am batshit crazy and that's fine. But <laughs> but it's because of everything you just said. And I have never been able to articulate it as well as you just did. Mm-hmm. Um, truly, that I wish you listeners have the advantage of you get to now rewind and go listen to that again. So do it. We doing this live, I cannot, but, but to mirror back what I think you said is that yes, the absolute glorious, unexpected, beautiful result of this difficult journey on the other side of it is the knowledge that you have about yourself that you otherwise often are told to numb out and um, just simply ignore. Yeah. Um, Getting drunk is getting out of the kitchen. Getting drunk is leaving the kettles burning. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay, it doesn't change the fact that the tea kettles are going. You're just, you left the kitchen. You can't really hear yeah. it as much, but it's going. And guess what? Yeah. If you leave the kitchen for too long, the whole damn house is going to burn down. Yeah. So yeah, that's it. That, that, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. The tools that you're given in sobriety to know though, which one to turn off. Mm-hmm. First, second, mm-hmm. third is again what's very mind blowing about what you said. I've never been able to articulate it to other people. I've always said, like, oh my gosh, the tools I've learned through this has been they've been amazingly life changing and beneficial. And but that's what it is. It's mm-hmm. the ability to know which one, yeah, to turn to first mm-hmm. to to help yourself to heal yourself and to allow yourself to get into a better space to handle the rest of the boiling pots. Yeah. Um, without having to yell and scream and have a full meltdown and turn to something else that needs to numb me out before I can go handle it. Yeah. yeah. Also, because, oh. you know, whatever is in that tea kettle, I mean, we're using a tea kettle because like, you know, the noise and whatever. But I mean, the feelings that are getting hot and screaming, I mean, it's you don't want to burn them. I mean, when you have burned hatred, when you have burned anger, when you have burned whatever is cooking because you've left it go too long, I mean, it changes. And it's really hard to salvage, to like digest, you know? And so when you can have these tools and when you go through sobriety and and the, you know, the quicker you are in the kitchen and to turn down the heat, I mean, the more delicious, I mean, I don't mind feeling sad sometimes. It's not... The, yeah. the best. I, I don't want it for every meal. Don't get me wrong. But if I have to feel sad sometimes, I, I need to feel sad. That's got to happen. And it's going down a lot easier because it's not charred and burned and burning my throat because I, you know, left the pot on too long. So yeah. saving like the meal that you're going to give yourself, which are feelings and our emotions. And, you know, you you don't get sober to get numb. You get sober to feel. <laughs> um yeah you know, that's also the gift of, of digesting your feelings in the way that they were meant and catered and cooked and felt and nourished to, 
to your soul and your experience and your perspective? Well, it's it's kind of back to what we were saying a few minutes ago too, is that what you were just beautifully pointing out is, yes, I do now have to experience some of the bad, but guess what else I get? I get all the good. Mm-hmm. I get to feel all of that now too, mm-hmm. right? Because when we numb out, we numb out both. We don't get to pick and choose. We lose the good and the bad. So, yeah. And what you're saying is, yes, I don't mind feeling some of the bad sometimes now because I know that it's temporary and I know all of the amazing good that I now get to feel all the time as a result um, of not having, yeah, the scars that are not temporary, right, that have become more permanent, that now are latched onto you, that are a part of you and that you're dragging around like I don't know about you, but I felt like I had put down a 50,000 pound bag backpack of rocks of like, yeah. okay, oh, woo, I don't have to pretend anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. So no more of the scars dragging alongside of you day in, day out. Um, yeah. Kate, this is just the best discussion ever. I just looked at the time and I'm like, oh, I How want us to go on forever. <laughs> I know. Um, But I know that our listeners um, are going to get a lot more of you because now everyone on this podcast is going to be going over to clear headed and listening what to what you have to say. I've had so many aha moments just during our discussion. I feel Uh really empowered and excited um, for the other people who are going to get to listen to what you had to share today. So thank you. Yes, thank you. I've so enjoyed this. So good. And before we get off, I really do want you to share with our listeners more about your mission to get people to open up to the idea that, you know, you don't have to hit rock bottom like we've seen in in TV and movies to get sober. And, um, you know, that you can change when things are just fine. So, you know, you're carrying that out through the podcast and, you know, I want to make sure that our listeners know where to find you and how to be a part of your mission. Yeah, totally. I mean, not only are you like, you can stop at any time, but you're also not missing out on anything. I mean, you're gaining so much and that's really like my mission and what the whole kind of picture of clear-headed is. Um, We have a website, clearheaded.co and Basically, I want to be like the Martha Stewart of sobriety. So you can go on and uh, you can see guides, journals, um, how to build a better bar cart, some non-al cocktail recipes. Um, we're even doing events. We might be having a pop-up in dry January somewhere. I can't. I am oh, waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Um, but, um, you know, we just talked about basically all the different things that make up a sober care routine. And really like that's the mission of Clearheaded is we're here to help you figure out your sober care routine, just like a skincare routine. Everybody's skin is different. A self-care routine, everybody's heart needs something different. And your sober care routine is going to be totally unique to you. So these are all on our website are all in the clear approved alcohol-free drinks and items and things to add to your sober care routine. How many times can I say sober care routine, but sober care routine? I'm 
I'm obsessed. I am totally obsessed. I am just like frustrated that I didn't have this six and a half years ago because, you know, everybody kept saying to me, oh, you can normalize sobriety. And I'm like, I don't want to just make it normal. I want it to be cool. Yeah. Like, cause the more we say like, this is awesome. Um, and that's what you're doing is you're showing people that, yeah, this is a huge part of self-care and I freaking love it. So I cannot wait to go to clearheaded.co to gain access already listening to the podcast. Super excited. Like I said, I have an episode that I talk more about my individual sobriety journey on there. So jump on there and listen to that as well. And thank you. I will keep our listeners, um, you know, up to date about uh, this going on and the event too. So um, really want to have that in there. So um, thank you again for joining us today and being open and vulnerable and honest. Yes. Um, all, all the great things. I so. think we got a lot of clarity. I think so too. I think so too. I, I loved every single minute. So I know I am very confident that today episode made your life and your business a lot better. I normally say just a little bit better, but I think, I think today will make a great impact. So thank you for joining us for another episode of the Hitting Rock Metal podcast. We'll see you and hear you (laughs) next time.